0: Readings, you're listening to podcast number 157 of Blast the Right. I'm your host Jack Clark. Great to have you on board. Today, a jam-packed show. First, you'll hear about some new statistics sure to render speechless your friendly local right-winger when you're debating health care reform with them. Next, how about a little old-time religion? Some information that will enormously enhance your ability to put right-wing Christians on the defensive. Finally, you'll get some information about the community group ACORN that you'd never hear on Fox News. Throughout the show, subject-relevant clips of me speaking on Air America. Let's get right into it. Your sources for this first segment include Reuters, CNN, the website of the Congressional Budget Office, the Boston Globe, MediaMatters.org, and the Associated Press. Please take a listen to a brief clip of me speaking on the radio about that all-pervasive right-wing meme, the government can't do anything right. Apologies for the audio quality.
1: We were talking about the right wing talking points that you get thrown at you and it's sometimes they're hard to respond to because they're kinda, of, you know, very sneaky and invidious. So probably the biggest right wing talking point and they use this not only with healthcare but you know, with everything, is they'll go, The government's gonna help with healthcare, run health care, the government can't do anything right, they're incompetent, everything the government does is no good. Blah 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 blah. Right. And they go on and on. So my suggestion is I would, you know, if you're talking to your friendly local right winger, I would say, well, uh Mr. and Ms. Right Winger, I feel sorry for you because you must live a very restricted life. And they'll go, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, uh, you could never fly in an airplane because, obviously, the government-run control towers and Federal Aviation Administration <laughs> and air traffic controllers, they're incompetent. They're crashing planes every day. You don't want to fly in an airplane, do Why you? Why would you do that? And, uh, then i go, and you're also restricted. You can never travel anywhere in a car because if you went on an interstate highway, I mean, those were designed and built and they're maintained by the federal government. And I mean, you know, they're just, the cars are crashing all the time because of the poor design and there's giant potholes, people's axles are breaking. Cars so just really disappear. Restricted. So the whole point is, there's lots of things the government does right, but they don't you know, want to admit that because then it would you know, destroy their argument that the government can't do anything and therefore it should have nothing to do with health care.
0: I hope you can see the usefulness of my approach for the water cooler wars. Here's some more for you on the health care debate. Rush Limbaugh recently.
2: I don't believe anybody in this country is dying because of a lack of health insurance. But that's what Obama's saying. And Obama's a grand poobah, so Elijah Cummings goes out there and reports it, repeats it, and so forth and so on. And this is how these things become mantras. Then the drive-bys pick it up, and before you know it, forty-five thousand people a year, forty-five thousand people a year are dying, dying,
0: dying. Virtually never does what Limbaugh believes comport with the reality that the rest of us live in. I've told you in prior shows how the nonpartisan Institute of Medicine estimated several years ago that 18,000 Americans die every year because they lack health insurance. Well, there's been an update. The situation has tragically deteriorated. 45,000 working-age Americans now die every year because they're uninsured. This is the conclusion of a study just published in the peer-reviewed American Journal of Public Health. Dr. David Himmelstein, one of the co-authors, put it starkly, we're losing more Americans every day because of inaction than drunk driving and homicide combined. Close quote. Why do people without insurance die? Diseases like cancer are caught too late. And for chronic conditions, another co author, doctor Steffi Woolhandler, explains quote, If you can get good primary care for your high blood pressure, your high cholesterol, diabetes, those don't have to be lethal conditions. Uninsured people who have a chronic condition are less likely to know they have it, and even when they know they have it, they are less likely to be able to control it because control of chronic conditions involves regular visits to a primary care doctor. Close quote. The leap from 18,000 to 45,000 dying from lack of health insurance is in part caused by the fact that so many public hospitals and clinics have closed or scaled back. Again, thank you, Right Wing Policies. Of course, a right-wing think tank has claimed that this new report significantly overstated the death risk. Well, at least they're not claiming the death risk is zero like Rush Limbaugh. The fact is, there's a vast body of medical literature that supports this new report. For example, a study found that when uninsured people turn 65 and start receiving decent medical treatment under Medicare, they see a dramatic improvement in their health. Okay, here's one last stat for you, and this one the right can't dispute. It's from the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO. The CBO does nonpartisan research for members of Congress. When the CBO earlier this year was releasing analysis of various Democratic health care bills, and the numbers didn't look good, the right wing touted those numbers, claiming the CBO was the gold standard. Well, now that the CBO is releasing numbers the right doesn't like, don't let them get away with trashing the CBO. The recent CBO stat I want to tell you about relates to medical malpractice. One of the right's loudest claims is that stopping abusive malpractice claims will allow doctors to stop practicing defensive medicine and the savings will be a key to reforming our health care system. Not so. The CBO found that if right-wing tort reform is enacted, it would reduce malpractice insurance premiums by $3.5 billion a year. And, the end of the need for practicing defensive medicine would save another $5.4 billion a year in medical procedures not performed. That's a total of just under $9 billion a year. Certainly worth saving, if there are no adverse consequences like an increase in malpractice or inadequate awards to those who suffer genuine harm. But, this is hardly any major part of the solution to our health care crisis, which involves tens of millions of uninsured Americans. That's because $9 billion a year is only one-half of 1% of our annual health care expenditures, according to the CBO's numbers. That's a penny out of every $2 we spend. So, there you have it. Tort reform is not a crucial element of health care reform, and, earlier, lack of insurance kills big time. Dr. Woolhandler, a primary care physician, said the following, quote, For any doctor, it's completely a no-brainer that people who can't get health care are going to die from the kinds of things that health care is supposed to prevent, close quote. Yet, Rush Limbaugh could still say with a straight face, I don't believe anybody in this country is dying because of a lack of health insurance. I don't know if Rush has no brain, or he's deliberately lying. Either way, he has to say what he does because it's the only way he can justify his bottom line of destroying the entire social safety net.
2: Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well.
0: Just remember, that's really what's behind all right-wing rhetoric about health care reform or most anything else relating to public policy. Up next, things you never learned in Sunday school. Stick around. <laughs> your one-minute voting report. I appreciate your continuing to post those five-star reviews and click that five-star rating button in iTunes. That gets the show on the featured pages, so people looking for a political podcast will be able to sample the Blast the Right brand of progressive activism. If you haven't done so already, you only have to post a five-star review or click a five-star rating once. It stays up there forever, countering the one-star right-wing sabotage reviews. Over at Podcast Alley, SOS, SOS, we've been kicked off the national top 10, currently at number 11. Could it truly be that out of several thousand listeners, only 121 had 10 seconds to go vote there? I'm sure this was just an oversight. So, if you haven't yet voted for Blast the Right this month, and you're near a computer, please hit pause right now, go vote at Podcast Alley, and then come back and listen to the rest of today's show. If you're not near a computer, a post-hypnotic command is hereby given that the next time you are online, you will vote at Podcast Alley for Blast the Right. Okay, you can get the image of a swinging, flashy pocket watch out of your brain. (laughs) Thanks for all your support. Listen to Michael Moore catch Sean Hannity perhaps not being completely truthful about going to mass.
2: In all seriousness, look, you're a talented movie maker. You have a left-wing point of view. You don't apologize for it. I'm I'm going to give you credit for that. Right. Because I think you're an unapologetic socialist, however you want to describe yourself. Fair? Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah, well, but I we guess. have different views on the economics. Well, system. no, but I believe I believe in what Jesus said. That so do I. You're, you actually, you are, well, well, are you Catholic? I'm Catholic. Yeah. Really? Did you, you go to mass on Sunday? Every Sunday. I went to the theology. I was you went theology. to the mass this past Sunday. I did. Oh, well, what was the sermon about? Uh, well, do you remember the it was, gospel? It was about Michael Moore and no, no, uh, come on. You I didn't go. I don't you didn't go. Every Sunday. I go every Sunday. Well, so do you remember the gospel this past Sunday? The gospel was past Sunday. It was just two days ago. I don't remember. I went it Saturday night. I went Saturday night. You went Saturday. I hate to
1: say it, I got there about as late as I went to your movie. So. Right,
2: right. Well, yeah. the, <laughs> what, you know, the, Jesus mm-hmm. was very clear about uh, the rich man is going to have a very hard time getting into The heaven. eye of the needle, that's right. Yeah, that's and right. that the first will be last and the last will be first. Well, you're rich, so you're and going to we, be last. And we will be, Well, if I don't do good with what blessings I've received on this uh, earth, that's right. absolutely right. So, uh, but we'll, we're going to be judged, you would agree with us, by how we treat the least among us. I totally agree.
1: Right. Totally. So I'm very generous, as my wife is, with charity, and I think every, anybody that's been blessed, mm-hmm. and, and this gets to the heart of, I guess, the debate we're going to yeah, have here okay. tonight.
0: One of my favorite topics, which I don't get to nearly often enough, is how to call out those whom I call right-wing pseudo-Christians. Sean Hannity could be their poster child. You're going to hear now a bit about the Catholic Church's Social Doctrine. This information will enormously enhance your ability to engage right-wingers in debate. Let me acknowledge that. You may be saying to yourself, I don't want to hear a bunch of religious crap. That's not what you're going to hear. You're going to hear Progressive Economics 101. Radical economics even. Bedrock human morality. You must keep in mind... Possibly the largest and most organized and, unfortunately, most effective opposition to the progressive agenda is the religious right. So, if you're a progressive, you need to be familiar with this issue to be able to articulate how far from being in accord with Christian values right-wing policies truly are. You have to be able to put right-wing Christians on the defensive. Also, if you're a progressive your understanding of the following will allow you to easily handle any red-baiting you encounter on economic issues. When you espouse economic justice measures and a right-winger starts dismissing what you're saying, and you as well, as a socialist or a communist, you can simply tell them, Sorry, that's not correct. What I'm advocating is actually part of official Catholic social doctrine. So, unless the Pope is a socialist or a communist, you'll have to come up with a better criticism than that. Let me add, if you're a right-wing Christian yourself who is listening, perhaps you're not aware of this matter of understanding true Christian economics, and you'll benefit by listening to this as well. My sources here are several papal encyclicals and other official Catholic Church documents. In the transcript and on my podcast blog for this show, you can find a link to my Church Teachings Compilation, It contains all the excerpts I'll read from these documents and a ton more. I've distilled Catholic social doctrine into eight overarching principles. One, the world's resources were meant for all to share equitably so that each individual and people have a sufficient share. Quote, the goods of this world are originally meant for all. Private property is under a social mortgage, close quote. This equitable use of the earth's resources will the beloved free market of right wingerdom achieve this? No, it won't. Principle number two the market alone cannot address all human needs, and its shortcomings need to be addressed. Quote There are many human needs which find no place on the market. It is a strict duty of justice and truth not to allow fundamental human needs to remain unsatisfied and not to allow those burdened by such needs to perish. Quote. Wow. So the right-wing worship of the market is truly idolatrous since there are higher values that must trump the market when the market causes fundamental human needs to remain unsatisfied and those burdened by such needs to perish. This leads to the question... What causes such fundamental human needs to remain unsatisfied? Principle 3. The existence of unjust political and economic structures must be recognized. Quote, One must denounce the existence of economic, financial, and social mechanisms which, although they are manipulated by people, often function almost automatically, thus accentuating the situation of wealth for some and poverty for the rest. It is not out of place to speak of structures of sin, quote. Are you getting the picture? This is all 180 degrees the opposite of what right-wing Christians will tell you. And if structures of sin cause poverty, that leads inevitably to the next principle of Catholic social doctrine, 4 demonization of the poor is wrong. It will be necessary above all to abandon a mentality in which the poor, as individuals and as people, are considered a burden as irksome intruders trying to consume what others have produced. The poor ask for the right to share in enjoying material goods and to make use of their capacity to work, thus creating a world that is more just and prosperous for all. It's not poor character, it's injustice and oppression that cause poverty. Indeed, far from demonizing the poor, as right-wingers always do, Principle 5 states, We must exercise a preferential option for the poor. The option of preference for the poor is a special form of primacy in the exercise of Christian charity, to which the whole tradition of the Church... Bears witness the globalized economy must be analyzed in the light of the principles of social justice respecting the preferential option for the poor. What must we do just hope and fervently pray that the poor are helped, that alms are given? A thousand times no, that alone won't suffice. Principle six concrete actions to help the poor not pious wishes, are required. As far as the Church is concerned, the social message of the Gospel must not be considered a theory, but above all else, a basis and a motivation for action. Christ's words, as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me, were not intended to remain a pious wish, but were meant to become a concrete life commitment. Love for others, and in the first place love for the poor, in whom the church sees Christ himself, is made concrete in the promotion of justice. Close quote. That duty to promote justice leads naturally to principle seven. Individual acts of charity are not enough. Social, political, and economic policies must be addressed. Quote. This constant dedication to the poor and disadvantaged emerges in the Church's social teaching, which ceaselessly invites the Christian community to a commitment to overcome every form of exploitation and oppression. Now, here's the linchpin to it all. It is a question not only of alleviating the most serious and urgent needs through individual actions here and there, but of uncovering the roots of evil and proposing initiatives to make social, political, and economic structures more just and fraternal. Close quote. This is so critically important. Right-wingers are always saying, we've given to charity, we've fulfilled our Christian duty. No, you have not. There are structures of sin that must be corrected. Social, political, and economic structures must be made more just. Finally, there's principle eight. These social justice principles and the preferential option for the poor apply internationally as well, and therefore fundamental changes in global economic structures and practices are necessary. The globalized economy must be analyzed in the light of the principles of social justice, respecting the preferential option for the poor. The Church is called to cooperate with every legitimate means in reducing the negative effects of globalization such as the domination of the powerful over the weak, especially in the economic sphere, quote. Wow, do the actions of Hugo Chavez, Abel Morales, and other progressive Latin American leaders come to mind? So, these are the eight principles. I know the Catholic Church on women's rights and sexual matters has some terrible positions, but on this economic stuff, it's spot on. These principles lead to some specific policy prescriptions in church doctrine, within nations a living wage, and internationally, reduction or outright cancellation of the debt of poor nations. I put a link in the transcript of this show and on the podcast homepage for actions you can take to further third world debt relief. There's a ton more to talk about here, but this was intended as a brief introduction. I hope it's whet your appetite. For a fuller treatment, you can listen to Podcast 111. And for the whole nine yards and then some, please do check out my 50,000-word essay, What Would Jesus Do? Jesus Would Send All These Right-Wing Pseudo-Christians Straight to Hell. In a moment, we'll debunk the right-wing ranting about Acorn. Stay tuned. Well, she's just
2: what the want. She's exactly what the idiots want. She's a burger and fries in a French restaurant She's just what the idiots want She's an Eskimo dream, she's a caribou queen A hockey mom God's own Arctic ambassador She's Sarah Barracuda and she's swimming upstream
0: your sources for this last segment today include the website of the US Treasury Department, Reuters, CommonDreams.org, MediaMatters.org, and the Associated Press. Oh my goodness! There's a dastardly group of evildoers, all powerful, about to destroy our nation. The community group ACORN. I'm sure you've heard quite a bit about them in the news lately, as the corporate media increasingly takes its cues from Fox News about what to report on. So how about I give you a few facts about ACORN? To start off with, here's a short clip of me debunking two of the lies repeated ad nauseum by the right. This is what the
1: right wing always does. They take a story, it's a minor story, but it's legitimate. There's some knuckleheads on the ground floor of Acorn who when you walk in there, they don't know the difference between legal and illegal activities. Okay, you got your minor story. But then what the right does is they have to blow it way out of proportion and lie about it. For example, they said, no Acorn office turned this away. Then Acorn turned up with a, a police report from Philadelphia that they had filed. The police were called in, a, in California to report a human smuggling case. So you know that's a lie. Another lie, and this one I love. It's a Sean Hannity special. He says at every show, you could be talking about the weather with him, and he will drop this on you. He'll go. Right. And the stimulus bill earmarked, earmarked eight billion. Would it be eight billion dollars? for acorn now you know as soon as you hear that you got to go that sounds ridiculous and it is ridiculous but he'll keep repeating it the whole stimulus bill altogether had up to eight billion for the tens of thousands of community groups across the nation to apply for and split up so at most you know acorn could have gotten a small piece of that but they said they weren't even applying for it anyway
0: would you like a third lie Right-wingers are fond of claiming that the entire financial crisis was caused by ACORN pressuring banks to give mortgages to those who couldn't afford them, and the battering ram that ACORN used was, so it's claimed, the Community Reinvestment Act. The right should be embarrassed at making this assertion. It's Bush administration officials who themselves said the CRA had nothing to do with the financial crisis. In November 2008, Bush's controller of the currency, Point Blank, stated that only 6% of the subprime loans were made by institutions subject to the CRA. So, quote, CRA is not the culprit behind the subprime mortgage lending abuses or the broader credit quality issues in the marketplace. Indeed, the lenders most prominently associated with subprime mortgage lending abuses and high rates of foreclosure are lenders not subject to CRA. Close quote. In December 2008, one of Bush's Federal Reserve governors echoed those sentiments, quote, The long-term evidence shows that the CRA has not pushed banks into extending loans that perform out of line with their traditional business. The very small share of all higher-priced loans that can reasonably be attributed to CRA makes it hard to imagine how this law could have contributed in any meaningful way to the current subprime crisis, close quote. But right-wingers keep on spreading their lie. Right-wingers also succeeded in stampeding Congress into cutting off any federal funding for ACORN, screaming about clear-cut, unadulterated, taxpayer-funded corruption. The right is so concerned about ACORN. But let's take a quick look at just some of what the right conveniently ignores. You may recall in Podcast 148 we discussed Now, the multinational company KBR, a former part of Halliburton, Dick Cheney's old company, did such shoddy electrical work in Iraq that American soldiers were being electrocuted. Well, unfortunately, there was yet another electrocution of an American soldier in September, and again while taking a shower. KBR kills our soldiers, but the right doesn't ever talk about that, let alone want to cut off KBR's funding. And all this money ACORN is getting? It comes to about $53 million over a period of 15 years. A report recently came out finding at least $6 billion in questionable charges by defense contractors during the Iraq war. That's 100 times the amount of money ACORN has received in total. The right silence about this defense industry theft of government funds is deafening lest you think I'm exaggerating about the disproportionate amount of time the right spends on ACORN, as opposed to truly serious malfeasance and corruption, check out these numbers. The group Media Matters, who I wholeheartedly recommend for your daily reading, Media Matters took the period May 2006 through September 2009 and tallied the number of times on the programs of Sean Hannity and Glenn Beck that ACORN was referenced, compared to the number of references to truly serious scandals like Jack Abramoff, Blackwater and Halliburton KBR the results Acorn 1502 Abramoff 62 Halliburton KBR 43 Blackwater 4 yup 1502 versus 62 and 43 and 4 talk about misleading your audience Loyal viewers of Beck and Hannity would think that Acorn was the most important scandal in the world compared to minor or virtually non-existent episodes like Abramoff, Halliburton KBR, and Blackwater. You know the bottom line. Acorn advocates on behalf of the poor, and many of its members are minority. Acorn registers the poor and minorities to vote. They vote heavily Democratic. That's what's behind the right-wing attacks on ACORN. That, and using ACORN as a wedge-issue distraction, like gay marriage, to take the eyes of the average American away from the policies of the right that are impoverishing them. Okay, so to sum up today's show, we have to bring back the public's attention from distractions like ACORN and mobilize the public to stop the right's efforts to bury Roosevelt's policies. We need to further Roosevelt's policies by enacting true universal health care so that every American gets proper medical treatment. And doing that, contrary to what right-wing pseudo-Christians would have you believe, would be doing just what the Christian faith, and indeed what any religion, no ifs, ands, or buts, calls for. A lot of work ahead. Let's get at it. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. Tell ten friends, vote for Blast the Right at Podcast Alley, and, of course, write a five-star review or click a five-star rating for Blast the Right in the iTunes Music Store. Special thanks to Ellen in Kansas City for help with this week's show. As is the case every week, please call the White House and your elected representatives and demand that they do all they can to unconditionally reinstate Manuel Zelaya as president of Honduras. Music credits. The break music was L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber, Not the One Blues by Bernsheet Thornside, and Just What the Idiots Want by the Demolitus. We'll close with a little bit of Kill the Poor by Matthew Grimm and the Red Smear. Links to all the music I play on Blaster I can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. I'm also now posting transcripts of each show. All of those can be found linked to off the main podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the right" in Google, and I'm the first result. Many thanks to talk show host Tom Hartman for the Rush Limbaugh audio clip. I love getting your email. Please keep it coming. My address is rational at roadrunner.com. Still catching up, but making progress. You can also call in and leave a message for me to play on the show. Just dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. Another way to leave a message is on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. So here the best,
2: Christian destiny you give us empty words and flags to rally around but the rest of it don't seem to trickle down to streets of hopeless faces mortgage and foreclosed downsized part-time jobs